All right, everybody, welcome to the Guard Post Podcast, a podcast brought to you by XFL Newsroom, a great website and Twitter that brings you a lot of great resources on the XFL world. Make sure you go to their website. You can find a lot of great things from YouTube videos to podcasts to articles and all sorts of different content that will help you learn about the XFL. Now we're going to go ahead and get into what's going to be in this episode today. A quick disclaimer, now that we have film. This show is going to be a lot more film-based. I know stats are important to a lot of people, and that's what a lot of people bring up in podcasts because you can't watch video. But I'm going to make sure I bring up important trends I see from films, scheme, uh, different traits, different possible liabilities that I see in film despite what numbers may say. For example, I'll talk about Matt McGloin and his game that he played against the Vipers. Even though the stats may say one thing, the film may say another, so I'm going to make sure I bring to light what the film says a little bit more than what the stats say. But let's get into what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to start with a review of the previous game against the Vipers that the Guardians won, 23-3. I'll go a little bit more in-depth in that, some of the best players I see, the offensive-defensive MVPs, and then also just some of the traits that I see that we may need to worry about for the next game. Then I'm going to go into my weekly segment on true accuracy for the starting QB of the New York Guardians. Matt McGloin, we're going to talk about how he played, what his throws were like, what his numbers were like from a true accuracy standpoint that I charted myself. Then we're going to go into a preview for the game against the defenders, what to look for, what to expect, and how what I think is going to happen on Saturday when they kick off at 11 a.m. my time, 2 p.m. in um, in D.C. It's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a great episode. Can't wait for you guys to listen. Cue the intro. This is your host, Zachary Garten, and this is The Guard Post. Welcome to the first segment of this episode. We're going to be reviewing the game against the Vipers. Heard there was a good crowd at Tampa, um, not at Tampa, of course, at New York. 17,000 people, roughly. Sounded like a really fun game to be at. We had the cheese guy, a really viral moment, which was fun. And, of course, the Guardians played well. They ended up winning, which is huge. And I'm going to go ahead and get into my broad takeaways from this game. Most of this is drawn from film. I won't be throwing a lot of numbers out there, just so you know. But we're going to start with the defense, probably the best side of the ball, the side that played the best. They played extremely a lot, extremely well in the red zone, but they allowed a lot to happen against them yardage-wise. They allowed 394 yards. You kind of saw that. They drove the ball down the field a lot, especially in the run game where they had 140 yards roughly. So... We're going to go ahead and start with the defensive line, which I thought was a little bit uninspiring. Um, now, especially against the run, they didn't play very well in my eyes. I thought they definitely could have played better. There was not a ton of quickness and pass rush throughout the thing. You saw five sacks, but most of those were like coverage sacks. Two of those sacks were by Wesley Sutton at the last drive of the game for the Vipers. So there wasn't a ton of QB pressure. Aaron Murray got to sit back for a while before pressure finally got to him. And that was mostly because of the coverage. Bumney Rotimi was a, was a bright spot. The one like true sack we had from straight just pressure was by him. He did a great job getting around the tackle and forcing a strip sack. I believe he was probably the brightest spot on the defensive line. He had nine total tackles, a sack. And he showed good quickness and good strength. Not great bend. I think that's still one thing he can work on as a pass rusher. 
but I really liked his ability to get around the edge using his hands. TJ Barnes also seemed to do well against the run at times. He showed good extension, which I mean by he was able to get his hands into the defender and straighten them out all the way. So he was able to choose a side and make a good read and make a decision and tackle the running back. But we really struggled getting to the running back. They created big holes. Davion Smith had 79 yards, and you could see him picking up chunk plays. So really worried about this against the run from this. I don't know if our defensive line is going to be able to handle it. I think they need to get stronger up front. They need to create a fence one year deep, and we didn't do that very often. So the lack of quickness, lack of explosiveness, and there was almost no pass rush. So it's going to put a lot of pressure on our defensive backs. While we have a good defensive back group, not getting any pass rush in the first four seconds is really bad. So hopefully that picks up. I really like Bumney Rotimi, but otherwise it was very uninspiring from our defensive line. Next, we'll go to the linebackers. The linebackers played pretty well, I think. Uh, Dewan Hines was pretty good throughout the whole game in coverage. He had that really great play uh, in the red zone on that first down where he tipped the ball and it forced an interception for Andrew Soro, who played really well as well. But Ben Heaney was also good. He was all over the place, totaled nine tackles. I like how I said there wasn't going to be a lot of numbers, but I'm just out here rattling off numbers. I guess that just happens when you talk about football. Numbers are a huge part of the game, but... Ben Heaney was really good. He did a great job against the run, really um, finding lanes, attacking the lanes. He didn't miss a couple tackles here and there. I would like to see him be a little bit more effective on that front, but I think he still played pretty well. Like always, he can work on his coverage a little bit. That's one of his weak spots in his game, and I think he'll continue to grow there. Um, Garrett Dooley was a nice surprise. I think he played really well. He forced that he forced that near fumble on Nick Truesdale and then also forced a fumble on a long run by Davion Smith early in the game. So... He's good at getting the ball out. He played very well at the outside linebacker spot, so I was happy with him. I was pleasantly surprised. But as a whole, the LB group did seem to struggle a little bit against one-on-one blocks. I would have really liked them to be a little bit more aggressive in getting off those blocks and making a decision, getting a lot of extension and making a good read. They would guess a lot, so they ended up on the wrong side of a block, and the running back would cut opposite of that. I think that's something that's going to come with more playing time, more experience. you got to remember, these guys have not played a game in a while, so it's going to take them a minute to get used to playing against the run. So I'm surprised a lot of teams didn't run more because going against the run is a lot more instinctual than a pass, but I expect them to pick it up and get better as the season goes along. And I expect Ben Heaney especially to be a star of that group and really start playing well while Dewan Hines does a great job in coverage like he did against the Vipers. And now we're going to go ahead and go to my favorite group of the day, our defensive backs. Man, they played really well. I know I highlighted this in my videos on this group. Great job at basically all forms of coverage. There was one or two different zones that where they allowed big gains, but I think that might have been because of the linebackers. There's one specifically in the first quarter. I think it was the that Cam Williams kid from the Vipers that had 123 yards. There was one he was open over the middle of the field, and it was because Ben Heaney got sucked up on a play action and didn't get depth enough in a cover three to stop the throw from coming underneath the safety. So while the safety could have driven up on it, I believe it was A.J. Hendy playing that deep middle third I think Ben Heaney was supposed to drop back a little bit faster and a little bit more to be able to make a play on that ball. But like I was saying, A.J. Hendy and Andrew Soro both had fantastic games at the safety position. I thought of this DB group, our safety position was the one I was most worried about, but they played fantastic. I mean, A.J. Hendy, I'll get into this a little more later, but he was my defensive MVP for the game. Andrew Soro was fantastic, ended up with a pick and just a lot of big hits. And... 
they both played really well in coverage, stayed true to their coverage, didn't get beat deep very often, and really didn't get sucked up. They both were very interchangeable, playing in the box at times and playing deep at times. I know A.J. Hendy was more of the deep safety, which I like. He showed he showed the athleticism you need for that. Um, Jamar Summers, people stayed away from him, like I kind of expected, but they did a lot more than I expected. They really went towards Bryce Jones' size, and Bryce Jones still played very well. He had a couple plays where I was like, eh, you could have done a little better there. But as a whole, as a defensive back and as a cornerback, he played really well, showed his effectiveness and the resilience and ability to just stay consistent that I really liked and was really important for me to watch. Drayvon Askew Henry was kind of the weak link in this, but that's because he's a nickel corner. He got put in a lot of different situations that weren't always great for him. He still played very well overall. I would have liked to see him make one or two more tackles that he missed to be a little bit quicker on the blitz. But overall, he played really well as that down-in-the-box kind of safety or that nickel cornerback that he's lined up in. So really excited with this group as a whole on defense. I think it all starts with the back end, though, those defensive backs. I think that's what makes this group great. And I expect that to continue as this goes along. But as a whole, this defensive back group did really well. And the whole defense played really well. I think, of course, you can expect to pick up from that defensive line as the season goes along. And you can expect the LBs to continue playing better and better as they get more experience. But now we're going to go ahead and move to the offense. And what I saw there was not nearly as inspiring as the defense. While the defense played well the whole game and really stood up in the red zone, the Offense really struggled in the second half. They started out really hot, scoring 17 points in that first quarter, even though they still missed some opportunities. The offense in the second half was just rough. They missed way too many opportunities, too many big throws missed, not enough really moves in the run game. Nobody was running the ball. We only ran the ball 12 times, and I'll get into that in just a second. But as a whole, started off hot cooled off when Matt McGloin cooled off. He started off hot as well and cooled off in the second half, which I'll talk about when I talk about my accuracy segment in this episode. But we're going to start with the run game and the running backs. Really unspectacular, say the least. We only gave him 12 carries. Tim Cook didn't do anything to really wow with that. He was good in short yardage situations, which is where I expected him to be utilized. Darius Victor, explosive at times, which I really liked and kind of expected. He's a little bit of a bowling ball there. He's able to bounce off tackles and make big runs. He showed hands out of the backfield, which I really liked. But man, oh man, do I want and need to see Justin Stockton. He's... I think he only got one snap at the end of the first half, but we need him out there, man. He's just so explosive and able to make a lot happen out of limited carries, whereas Tim Cook is a guy that needs a lot of carries to get going, and so is Darius Victor. While he is explosive, he's not going to break off big chunk runs all the time. He had a 22-yard run, and I think that was his long, and he had a total of 30-something yards, 37 yards, I believe. So... I need to see Justin Stockton get more snaps. I believe he is the most well-rounded back and the most versatile tool in that whole deep running back group. So I really think he'll get more snaps as the season moves along. Maybe he's just not fully getting the offense yet. I'm not really sure, but I believe he deserves more snaps. I think the coaches might be a little bit enamored by Tim Cook and Darius Victor and their bruising ability, but the way we ran the football and the way we played on – Sunday really showed that Justin Stockton was the back for that offense. We were in shotgun almost the entire game. We when we ran the ball, sure we went to I formation sometimes, but we only threw the ball out of out of the I formation I think twice, and we threw that we had 34 passing plays I think. So 
I think we need to see Justin Stockton. He really thrives in a shotgun-based zone running type offense. And if we ran that, I think he would really light this league on fire. So he's a guy I expect to see and I need to see in this offense moving forward. Bang the table for that guy every day of the week. Justin Stockton needs to be on the field. But when we talk about the running game and running backs, we cannot forget to talk about the offensive line. I think they did decent. Um, They did better than I expected. They didn't allow a sack. A lot of that might have been because of Matt McGloin's pocket presence, which was the best part of his game on Sunday. But no sacks. They allowed a couple pressures, but no sacks. They weren't great in the run game. Like I said, they allowed a couple. They had a couple missed blocks that resulted in losses of yards. But they were good in pass pro. Saw Damian Mama rotate a lot all over the line, especially that left guard and that center position. This could be due to injuries to Ian Silverman and Garrett Brumfield. I saw they were on the. DNP did not participate in practice list for Tuesday. I don't know how they did on Wednesday when I'm recording this, but hopefully those guys get healthy because Damian Mama can only fill one spot at a time, and both of those guys are gone. Those are two really key spots, especially Ian Silverman at center on that offensive line. So hopefully they get healthy. Hopefully they get back. I think Garrett Brumfield was a head injury, so that's always worrisome. He can take his time. But Ian Silverman was a thigh, and I really hope it's not too serious. They could just be resting on Tuesday because that's a big install day. So if they watch the film and we're in meetings, they should be fine. Whereas if they're here Wednesday and Thursday, those are the big practice days, so they need to be in practice on Wednesday and Thursday. But as a whole, the offensive line was decent. I don't know enough about offensive line to be really picky about that play. But as a whole, they were pretty good. Don't really have much else to say about that. The wide receivers, though, I thought they were good. They were probably the best performers on our whole team offensively. There was only one drop by Joe Horn on a third down. That was a tough catch, but he still should have caught it. It was an out route. He had to kind of pirouette to make the grab, but bad hand placement um, ended up causing a drop. Colby Pearson, though, and Mikhail McKay were fantastic. They're great on releases, got open consistently. Colby Pearson probably should have had three touchdowns total. He only ended up with one, but he had four targets and a couple catches for a couple a good chunky yards. McKay had a couple targets for three catches, I believe. But they both played well. Joe Horn was a really nice surprise. I really expected probably Justice Liggins to be the guy there or Austin Duke, but Joe Horn played really well. Looked like a really crisp route runner and I believe was um, Matt McGoin's favorite target throughout the day. So I'd expect him to get more and more tread as the season goes along and he understands this offense a little bit more. But played really well. Expect him to get a lot more reps. And then I would love to see Morteo Redding. I know he's kind of one-dimensional. We saw that in the game. They targeted him on two fade routes. But he's a guy I really like on this offense and I think can really make plays. So I'd like to see a little bit more of him, especially in the red zone. We, weren't in, we were not in the red zone a lot, so we might see him on a couple two-point conversions and such. But... Expect to see more Teo Redding as the season moves along. I really like him and his game. But as a whole, Colby Pearson and Mikhail McKay were the highlights of this group. Both played really well as that one and two receiver. They're going to be hard to unseat when Tanner Gentry and D'Angelo Yancey get back. Um, and a little side note here, Justice Liggins was recently released to sign Jeremiah McKinnon. A little surprised they released Justin Liggins. I thought he was a guy they liked in camp. They showed a couple highlights of his throughout camp. So when he was on the healthy cuts list, for this game, healthy scratches list, excuse me, for this game on Sunday. I was a little surprised, but I'd ex- I'm would expect him to land on another team. He was really good vertical threat for the Guardians during camp. So um, best of luck to him, and welcome Jeremiah McKinnon as well. But 
as a whole, the wide receivers did very well. Happy with their play. Makes me happy to see our two best our two best groups for my two favorite positions to watch, wide receiver and defensive back. The next group I'm going to talk about real quick is the tight ends. I mean, they were a part of the game. Jake Powell did pretty well, had a couple catches, one really important third down one on that first tif- touchdown drive. But none of them did a great job blocking, which is kind of sucks. It really hindered our run game. I remember seeing Jake Powell miss a really easy block that ended up allowing one of the running backs, can't remember which one, to get tackled in the backfield. So I'd like to see them pick up there, but we'll have to just wait and see how that develops. And then when we go to quarterback, Matt McGloin, we'll talk about him in a second. It was really interesting to see Marquise Williams in the punt coverage unit, and he was running down there trying to make a tackle. So it was really interesting to see him there. Maybe he's just trying to make plays on the field, try to get on the field and play the game of football, which is good. I'm always a little worried when you throw your backup quarterback out there, though. So really interesting to see him do that. We'll talk about Matt McGloin in our next segment, the true accuracy segment, where I talk about his accuracy and how I charted his play throughout the game. But now we're going to go ahead and get to my MVPs for the game. Offensive MVP is going to be Colby Pearson. Four targets, two receptions, 44 yards, and a TD. He should have had three TDs. Um, His second reception, the one long one at the end of the first half, should have been a touchdown if Matt McGloin hits, throws that ball a little farther down the field. But overall, I think he played really well. Got open consistently, was always kind of a guy that you could throw to and get open. He only had two catches, but he should have had more because he also also opened on deep post. That should have been his third touchdown and third catch of the day. So he's a guy I'd expect to really get better and better as he gets more timing with Matt McGloin. And defensively, my MVP for this game, A.J. Hendy. I know that's going to be a surprise to some people. A lot of people were probably expecting somebody like Bumney Rutini, Ben Heaney, maybe even Jamar Summers. But A.J. Hendy was really a catalyst on this defense and did made a couple really great plays. First off, the tip that ended up in a Bryce Jones interception was huge and ended up letting us to get points at the end of the first half, which made it 17 to zero. And then his pass breakup in late in the third quarter, maybe beginning of the fourth that ended up forcing a field goal that made it 17 to three was huge. It was a fantastic play, probably the best play I saw all game. And I was really excited to see him play. Well, I didn't get a lot of film on him when I was trying to evaluate him from, I believe it was Maryland. So Really good to see him really ball out and look really good in my eyes. I wasn't able to get a lot of the coaches. I wasn't able to get any coaches film, so I wasn't able to see as most of the, I cannot talk right now. I was not able to see most of his game, but AJ Hendy was my defensive MVP because of two really big plays he made that really stalled out the Vipers drives and changed the momentum back to the Guardians. So my two MVPs, offensively, Colby Pearson, defensively, AJ Hendy, and I'll go ahead and give a special teams MVP to Austin Duke. He had a huge return at the end of the, at the beginning of the game. It was really vital in the return, special teams game, fielding punts, returning kicks. Did a really great job in that side of the field. Didn't cause any turnovers, which was big. So, special teams MVP was Austin Duke. I don't really have much to say about the special team side of the ball. They played good. They had the big return. Didn't really get a lot of other opportunities other than that. So that's going to be the end of this segment. I'm going to go ahead and take a break, and then we're going to move into the true accuracy segment where I talk about the QB play, how Matt McLoin did from an accuracy standpoint and a couple other factors of his game moving forward.
right, so now we're going to go ahead and get into our QB discussion. We're going to talk about Matt McGloin's true accuracy. First, I'm going to go ahead and explain what I mean by true accuracy and what I did with my true accuracy charting. So when I mean true accuracy, I don't mean his completion percentage or what other outlets put out there. I mean what I chart when I see what an accurate pass is usually put within the frame of the body or leading in front of him, or just what I feel an accurate pass is. Usually that means he's not having to, the receiver's not having to dive for the ball or awkwardly twist his body for the ball. It's usually, sometimes it ends up being where the only place where the quarterback could have put it. So maybe the back shoulder, so the wide receiver has to twist his ball, but twist his body for the ball. But most of the time, it's usually on the body or something where it's an easy, easier catch for the receiver and that makes it accurate. This isn't a perfect thing, by the way. It's, me looking at it, me deciding, I usually go through it twice to make sure, see if there's any that I like question myself on. I go through it once, chart everything, then I go through it again, chart it again, compare notes, see which ones I disagree on, and then I find that play and look at it again. So it's a little bit of labor of love here, but I usually think it's decently accurate. So we're going to go ahead and look at the week one true accurate results. I already released these on Twitter. I'll release them on Twitter as soon as I finish the charting, which is usually around Tuesday each week. And once it's released, I'll definitely make sure to um, put it out on Twitter. And if anybody has any questions, they can ask me on Twitter and I will be explaining it every week in a little like 10 minute segment here where I just talk about what I think is going on with this, with his accuracy, any trends I see, how his season is doing. So first off, First thing I'm going to talk about is the snaps he had on shotgun or snaps under center. So when I chart these, I chart every play that's finished that he throws the ball or that he has a chance to throw the ball and has a normal drop back. So any play that has a penalty, like a pass interference that is enforced after the play is over, that's a, that's a play I count in this. So in total, he had 34 passing plays. He had 33 passing plays, pardon me. 33 passing plays, 31 of them were in the shotgun, two of them were under center, so we definitely had a preference to living in the shotgun, which I like personally. I love when offense stays in shotgun most of the time, but a lot more plays under shotgun than under center. And then I'm going to go ahead and talk about just his accuracy as a whole now. So we're going to talk about percentages first. His true accuracy percentage, 67.8%, so right around 68%, not terrible. Not a great number. Usually you want to see that number around 75%. That's how accurate you want to be three-fourths of the time. But 67% is not a bad number by any means. If I were to compare this with my AAF stuff, there's a lot of QBs that had way under that, and that would perform way worse. So that's not bad. His short accuracy percentage was 83.3% of the time. He was accurate on his short throws, which is usually, I determine, 0 to 10 yards in that range is a short throw. His medium throws, which I usually call 10 to 20 yards, and these are a little bit more subjective, but 10 to 20 yards is usually what I determine as a shorter throw. He was accurate on 67% of his short throws, which is a pretty good number, 66.7 to be exact. But that's a pretty good number. He was um, he hit six of those accurately. He only completed three of them. There was, about, there was a drop in there and a couple um, good pass breakups by the defensive backs, but they were still accurate, so that's... Three completions to six accurate and three inaccurate. 
then his deep passing, which is the one thing that was probably the worst part of his game on Sunday, was 20% accurate on his deep passing. Usually it's a very low percentage when it comes to deep passing. It's a lower percentage pass. So 20%, not the it's pretty bad though. Usually you want this to be around 33%. So he was accurate on only one deep pass out of five totals. He had four inaccurate ones. He still had two completions, which, funny enough, both of his two completed passes were inaccurate passes. So what I mean by that is we have the one to Mikhail McKay, which was a deep pass. Mikhail McKay had to dive for it. It was thrown a little bit inside and a little bit away, so he had to dive for it make a tough catch for that ball. So that's why that was inaccurate. And then his other one was to Colby Pearson, who was on the run. He threw the ball ended up way short. If he threw it accurately down the field, that's a touchdown. So that's just an example of a play where he was inaccurate but completed the pass. That can happen time to time. Guys make great catches. So an inaccurate pass can be caught. That's why you see some of these. Sometimes you'll see that, oh, he only threw two accurate deep passes, but he had three total deep passes caught. And that's just a trend you can see. His checkdowns or... Um, his checkdowns are usually behind the line of scrimmage. I usually do checkdowns and screens in the same group. So checkdowns and screens were 100% accurate. Those need to be 100% accurate if we're going to be honest. You cannot miss checkdowns. I usually like my short throws to be around 90% accurate. That's what you should be at. 83 is not the best, but sometimes you miss those throws. And as a whole, he did decent in the accuracy department. I would like to see a little bit better. The deep throws that were concerning especially in our offense, which looked to be very vertical. If we have a vertical offense, you need to have a very accurate deep throw quarterback, and we didn't have that on Sunday. Matt McGloin was really rusty, it seemed, and throwing those deep passes, his timing was off. He was usually a little short. Now we're going to go ahead and get into how he dealt with pressure and the time he had to make throws. How I chart this is time in the pocket under three, under three seconds, a time in the pocket over three seconds, he had a really good split of this. He actually had a decent amount of time in the pocket often enough. He had 14 plays where he was in the pocket for around a little bit over three seconds or over three seconds, and then 19 plays that was under three seconds. Usually quarterbacks will have a lot more plays under three seconds than over three seconds. It's just how offenses develop and offensive develops now where quarterbacks get a lot more time, get a lot less time, pardon me, get a lot less time in the pocket, and they're expected to get the ball out quick. So you see a lot less long plays in the pocket. We still had 14 of those. That shows kind of a, a trend to being more vertical, more longer developing pass plays. And of those 14 plays, of those, I believe, 33 pass plays we had total, we're going to go ahead and look at the pressures real quick. 14 total pressures, nine exterior pressures, outside pressures coming from edges or outside the quarterback's frame, usually aimed towards the back shoulder or to his back or front. And then we also had five interior pressures, which is guys coming straight at him, forcing him to belly out. But of those 14 pressures, there's only zero sacks and five hits. That really speaks to Matt McGloin's pocket presence. He did a fantastic job managing the pocket throughout the entire game. That was probably the thing he did the best throughout the whole game that I found very interesting. He only had one drop through the game. He had five throwaways and tips. I usually combine those, so it's four throwaways and tips. And one QB run, he left the pocket four times, and he had four play-action plays. So really not a lot of play-action. That's possible because we only ran the ball 12 times. But one thing I want to make sure we acknowledge, so I chart two things. Touchdown-worthy plays, which includes touchdown passes, touchdown runs, 
and also touchdown drops. So if a wide receiver drops a touchdown pass, that counts as a touchdown-worthy play. And I also count turnover-worthy plays, which is a dropped interception or interception, any fumble at all, whether it's recovered by the defense or the offense, is a turnover-worthy play. So it's a play that could have ended in a turnover where a turnover, a touchdown-worthy play is a play that could have turned into a touchdown. As a whole, he had zero turnover-worthy plays, which is huge. You rarely see that from a quarterback because usually a quarterback will make some type of risky throw that ends up in the hands of a defensive back that ends up getting dropped or a dropped interception or a fumble that gets hit out of his hands and he fumbles the ball. There's only one play that you could consider close to that, and that was his one QB run where he tried to throw it fumbled it in his hands, ended up with it, and fell the ball. But I didn't even count that as a fumble because it didn't end up on the ground. There was nobody near him. So it didn't really count in a turnover-worthy play. So, But have but to have 33 passing plays and zero turnover-worthy plays is huge. really speaks to his ability to keep the ball out of the other team's hands. And that's really going to be tested in this next game against the defenders where they're very, they showed a great aptitude towards getting interceptions, two interceptions against Brandon Silvers, who's, when I charged him with the AAF, was really good at keeping the ball out of opponents' hands. So, really good to see that he had zero. He only had one touchdown-worthy play that he that was missed. He did miss on two possible touchdowns. I may start including that in my future charting. Deep passes or passes that he missed that could have led to touchdowns because I feel like that's worth not acknowledging as well. His two incomplete deep passes, two of his inaccurate deep passes, one on a post in the third or fourth quarter, can't remember the exact time, and one at the end of the first half. Both were misses, and both could have been touchdowns. So it's important to acknowledge that. But when we look at the total accuracy, not a bad day for him. I just think that there are places where he could have improved and really improved his game to have been at an elite level. If he hits those two deep passes and gets his um, deep pass per, deep passes, accurate deep passes up to three, it's a totally different games. Heck, if he hits the if he hits the post, he has two touchdowns, two touchdown worthy plays, two accurate deep passes, moves his percentage up to I believe 40% and his accuracy takes a whole another bump up to be 20 accurate passes to eight inaccurate passes. So, it's important to acknowledge that and I just want to acknowledge one more thing real quick before I finish this up with a true accuracy of 67% and I, as I said, he had 19 accurate passes and nine inaccurate passes. You're kind of probably wondering where the other five passes went in this when it comes to 33 passing plays. Those were either a QB run or a tip and a throwaway. Tips and throwaways, I do not count against a quarterback's accuracy because that's what completion percentage does and really kind of hurts that overall number. But I don't believe that's an accurate representation of how accurate that was that's why i call this true accuracy because i try to boil down the numbers to see how accurate they were so that's why there's only 28 out of 33 and it's really fun to finally talk about this it's my first time i'll be cleaning up this segment as we go but just to run through the numbers really quick one more time 67.8 true accuracy percentage which is not bad 83.3 short accuracy percentage 66.7 medium accuracy 20 percent deep accuracy 100% check down accuracy. His percentage of times that he was pressured was about 42% of the time, which is a pretty high number. Usually you want that to be around 33%. He had zero sacks on him, which is good. He was turnover-worthy plays or 0%, which is huge. He was had a touchdown-worthy play on 
3% of its plays, which you'd like that number to be probably around one, like around 10%. That's usually what you want. Um, he only had one drop throughout the night. His shotgun to under center ratio was 86% of the time he was in shotgun, 13% of the time he was 13 to 14% of the time he was under center. So was, we definitely have a preference towards shotgun. Over 54.5% of the time, he had under three three um, seconds in the pocket, whereas 45% of the time, he had four second, four or more seconds in the pocket. So that's a really good number. Usually you want to see your quarterback able to get more time in the pocket. And then, like I said, 67.8% true accuracy percentage. Really good number for the first game. Not a lot of timing with these receivers. Expect it to really pick up as the season goes along. I know in this segment I repeated myself a lot. I'll be cleaning this up as we go along, getting more of a format for it. I really didn't expect to talk about this, but I really just felt a desire to talk about this during this episode, and I'll be cleaning it up more, maybe bringing along a guest or two to talk about this every once in a while. Thank you, guys. We'll be going to break real quick, and then we'll move on to my preview for the game against the Defenders. Welcome back from break, guys. We're going to go ahead and get right into our preview of the game against the defenders. I'm going to go ahead and start with defense and then move to offense and how we're going to break this down for the preview is what the defense has to do and what the defense can't do in this game. And I'll do the same for the offense. And I'll get into my most important offensive and defensive player for the game. And that'll be the most of my breakdown. But the first thing I'm going to get into is the def- what the defense has to do to win this game. Defense has to stop Jarrell Presley in the defender's run game. I know they didn't run the ball that much against the Dragons. The defenders didn't. But the Guardians defense really showed a weakness against the Vipers when the Vipers ran the ball. So I expect the defenders to pound the rock. I know Pep Hamilton is from that Stanford tree. They do like to run the ball. So I fully expect them to take full advantage of that and try to run the rock very well against the Guardians. So they cannot let Jarrell Presley just get free run of this on the field. It'll really hurt us from a time on the field standpoint and just from a conditioning standpoint because when you run the ball, you tire out the other team. So it just it'll get a lot really tiring for our defense and we'll start giving up big plays in the passing game if we let them run all over us. So the first thing we have to do is stop the run, make this team one-dimensional. The second thing the Guardians have to do is they have to keep Cardell Jones uncomfortable. There's a couple different ways they can do this. They can bring in some exotic blitzes like they brought in against Aaron Murray early in the game to get him off his off his game a little bit freaked out, make him leave the pocket early, and that way you can keep showing these pressures but not bring them, or you disguise coverages. I know some of the, what the Dragons did that kind of messed Cardell Jones up early is disguise coverage, so... We could do that maybe later, get him off his game a little bit in the second half because that's when Cardell Jones really kind of lit up a little bit. So I'd kind of expect us to try to keep Cardell Jones uncomfortable. We have to do that. That's probably the number one thing in this game because if he gets comfortable in the pocket or if he gets comfortable, he'll start making plays no matter how well we cover anybody. So just exotic blitzes, disguising coverages, getting pressure on him, we have to keep Cardell Jones uncomfortable. Don't let him just sit in the pocket, get in a rhythm. The last thing the defense has to do is the DBs have to play an elite at an elite level again. We're going against much better receivers than Rashad Ross, Eli Rogers, 
Malachi Dupree. There's a couple of really good receivers in that offense. So we have to play at a very elite level going into this game. So fully expect them to be, I fully expect them to step up to the task. I mean, we got a really talented group of defensive backs ourselves, but it's going to be a really tough ask considering the offense we're going against. They got a lot of explosive talent. So DBs have to play at an elite level. They have to play very well throughout the entire game. I'm expecting a big game from Jamar Summers. I would not be surprised if he has to follow around Rashad Ross because he has some, some experience covering him from the AAF. They're going to try to pick on Bryce Jones. I can already tell you that. That's what the Vipers did. Bryce Jones stepped up very well, but fully expect them to pick on Bryce, Bryce Jones on that right side of that defense while Jamar Summers sits basically untouched throughout most of the game. So he has to play an elite level. They're going to pick on Dravon Askew Henry in the slot. So he has to play an elite level. These guys just all have to play at a very elite level throughout this game. Now we're going to go ahead and get to our defensive don'ts. First thing we cannot do is we cannot rely on man-to-man coverage. I'm a huge proponent for man-to-man coverage, but against the type of speed we're going to see on Saturday against these guys, We can't just sit in man coverage. Our guys will get burned eventually, so we have to mix in some zone there, make sure we have safety help over the top on guys, especially like Rashad Ross and Eli Rogers, who are a lot faster, and then we just have to stay true to that zone and don't get a little caught up because that's where we kind of struggle is when we try to do too much in our zone, and that's with most teams and most defensive backs. They see somebody else messing up their zone. They try to go attack that, and that leaves a room for a bigger play, so our guys need to make sure they stay true to their zone, do their job, and really – we could just cannot rely on man-to-man coverage. I don't doubt Jamar Summers can cover any of these guys, but Drayvon Askew, Henry may struggle against a guy like Eli Rogers, considering just the speed differential. Our safeties may struggle a little bit. So just watch out for that. Make sure we – I really hope we don't rely too much on man-to-man coverage, even though that's probably the best area of our game. I just think the speed difference between those defender receivers and the guardian DBs is a little bit too much to just rely on man-to-man coverage. I'm not saying we can't run it at all. There's a lot of good times to run man-to-man coverage, but overall, I think we have to mix in a good amount of zone to once again, keep Cardell Jones uncomfortable and then also just make sure these receivers don't know what's coming at them. The second thing we cannot do, we cannot have four linebackers in the game at all times. Defenders showed they like to spread it out. They like to have only one back in there. So that means we have to be able to stop the get run game with Dravon Askew Henry in the game. I noticed in the Vipers game, we transitioned into more of a forefront, forefront two linebacker look later in the game with Dravon Askew Henry in a lot more. And I'd expect us to do the same thing here, especially later in the game when they spread us out and they started throwing the ball a little bit more. But when that happened, the Vipers ran the ball on us pretty easily. So we have to shore up our run defense in that four-down, two-backer with Drayvon Askew-Henry, our nickel look, we have to make sure we shore up our defense in that nickel look so we can make sure we can stop the run. Because we were great against the pass when we had Drayvon Askew-Henry out there, D-A-H. But I guess the run, we really kind of floundered and allowed a lot of solid gains, like five, six yards of carry. So we just have to make sure we're able to stop the run with D-A-H in without really worrying about giving up that other linebacker spot. He really has to play that linebacker role and be able to stop the run. So that's something we have to do. We cannot let them just run all over us when we're in nickel. And then the last thing we cannot do, we cannot let Cardale sit in the pocket. So a lot of people noticed that Cardale looked pretty athletic against that Dragons front. He was able to make plays outside the pocket. And yeah, he did. That's very well. But you still don't want to let a guy like that sit in the pocket. That's where he's most comfortable. That's where he can really hurt you. Excuse me, that's where he can really hurt you. 
and that's where he'll really make a lot of plays is from the pocket. So we can't let him sit in the pocket. We have to make sure he's uncomfortable moving around a lot, can't get in rhythm, and make sure he has to make plays with his legs. I'd rather him hurting us with our with his legs than with his arm because we can, we can rally up to his legs. We can't always rally up to his arm because he's got a cannon, so we can throw it deep. So if we mess up his timing, he won't always be able to throw it deep. So that's kind of my rationale for you cannot let Cardell sit in the pocket. Now we're going to go into the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to start with my offensive must. You have to protect the quarterback. We did that pretty well on Sunday against the Vipers. Zero sacks, only 10 to 12 pressures. But this defender's front is a little bit better. They kept a lot of pressure on Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers did a good job of getting rid of the ball. Only got sacked once. But we cannot let them get to Matt McGloin. Matt McGloin isn't as mobile as, um, as, mobile as Brandon Silvers. So... We cannot let them get to him. He has to be protected. He has to have time. We have a more vertical offense, so we need more time. So protecting the QB is the number one most important thing. The next thing, involve the running backs. That's where the Dragons got most of their yards as running backs. I mean, they had a running back touchdown and from the slot, but a running back touchdown. So we have to make sure we get guys like Darius Victor and Tim Cook involved in the passing game. But, heck, we need to give Justin Stockton snaps. We saw Trey Williams really thrived against this team, against the defenders when he was able to get the ball out of the backfield. So I'd expect us to give Justin Stockton snaps so we can play his very similar role. I really like Justin Stockton, especially in the passing game. So expect him to get in. I hope he does. I think he has the talent to. So hopefully he's going to get end up getting snaps, get the ball, so he can be explosive, especially out of the backfield. So we have to make sure we involve our running backs. We have a group of talented running backs, and we can not only give them the ball 12 to 15 times like we did against the Vipers. It'll really hurt us in the long run. And then we have to take advantage of the deep ball. It's one thing the, Vi- the Dragons did not do against the defenders, and it really hurt them. A lot of their game was this a little bit more ticky-tack, type of play so we have to make sure we take advantage of the deep ball and we cannot miss opportunities like we did against the vipers defenders are much more explosive they're probably the better team they're probably a better team than we did with the we play against the vipers let me rephrase that they are a better team than the vipers so they will take advantage of any opportunities you miss if matt mcgloin underthrows a pass it will most likely get picked off rather than it being just an incomplete pass. I think he did get kind of lucky that his underthrows were to open guys, and it's going to be really interesting to see how he plays. I really need Matt McLuhan to not make miss opportunities. He has to take advantage of the deep ball. Offensive don'ts. Don't commit penalties and false starts. We really struggled with that in the second half. A lot of our drives were killed by that. I remember watching um, one drive was a third and one. We were about to, we were about to convert it. It looked like we were going to run an easy run play to get that first down, but then we got to... Then we got a false start, pushed it to third and six. We had a lot more trouble. We didn't convert that time. So we cannot commit penalties and first starts. That'll just hurt us in the long run, hurt any ability we have to close out a game or continue driving on offense because we really aren't built for those um, third and long situations, even though we had a lot of big pass plays. So we don't really do great in the intermediate or short passing game. So Hopefully we don't commit many penalties and false starts. False starts really hurt us, so we cannot do that. We cannot pass the ball 35-plus times. I love Matt McGoin. He's a talented quarterback, but with the weapons we have in the run game and the weapons we have just all over the field and with how our offense is built as a very vertical offense, we cannot throw the ball 35 times because there will be turnovers. 
It's as simple as that. With a very vertical offense, you're going to be taking risks. And if you throw the ball 35 plus times, you're going to be taking a lot of risks. And some of those risks will end up in the defender's favor. They'll get a pick and they'll capitalize on it. So we cannot throw the ball 35 plus times. I love Matt Bagoin. Like I said, I love his game. He's a very smart, cerebral quarterback. I just don't think that passing the ball 35 times will work in our favor. I think it'll work more in the defender's favor. And then we cannot fail on third down. We did not do great on third down against the Vipers. When you look at the stat sheet, it did not look like we did. I fully expect us to play better in that kind of in that realm. I mean, on third down, we were, let me find it here. Yeah, we were one for 10 on third down. Not good at all. We need to be better in that realm. We cannot fail on third down like we did. We got lucky by a great defensive performance and a great and a great early performance that didn't make us get into third down. But when we do go, when we do get third down, we cannot, and I repeat, we cannot fail on third down. We cannot get in continuously third and long situations because the pass plays we are attempting are a very low percentage. When you have a very vertical attack, you are a very low percentage offense. You're going to have a low completion percentage. Completion percentage is a team stat. Hence, I am bringing it up when you have a vertical offense. You have a low completion percentage. You're going to have a low just efficiency in the pass game. So we need to make sure we're in third and short or not third down at all. We just cannot fail in the third down aspect of the game. We have to make sure we're able to go for it on fourth and when we have the opportunity. So fully expect us to try to focus on that during practice. I'm pretty sure they have. And then really just we cannot fail on third down like we did against the Vipers and win because we will lose this time. Now I'm going to go ahead and get my most important players for this game. Most important offensive player, I feel like it's pretty obvious, and I'm going to be very obvious here, it's Matt McGloin. He cannot miss opportunities like he did in the Vipers game. I know there's some questions about timing, and I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter like, hey, maybe it was just missed timing, but he still cannot miss those opportunities. Those guys are open for touchdowns, so you have to throw the ball where it needs to be. It's as simple as that. You need to throw it maybe a little bit farther down the field for Coley Pearson both times. You need to make sure it's on his outside shoulder versus inside and away with Mikhail McKay. Those are opportunities you cannot miss consistently and win football games. So you have to make sure you're hitting them on the numbers, hitting them on the money so they can go score. It's as simple as that. If you give the guys good passes, they're going to catch the ball and score. We have we have a very prolific long ball in our offense. We can get Taylor Redding on the deep ball. We can get Mikhail McKay. Colby Pearson has shown a proficiency for it. So these are all guys that are really good catching the ball deep. And you, you just have to give them a ball they can catch. So I, he's my most important offensive player because he cannot miss these kind of opportunities and he cannot make mistakes. If he makes any mistakes, the defenders will take advantage of it. That's one thing I noticed, especially in their game against the Dragons. They really take advantage of any missed opportunities you have. They're very opportunistic, whether it's offensively or defensively. They rely a lot on momentum and the ability to be like, all right, you have momentum. Well, we just took that away from you, and now we're going to go score and increase this lead. So fully expect McLoyne, especially at the beginning of the game, to start out pretty conservative, trying to make sure he just takes what he's given. Don't try to grab too much. I could be very wrong. He could start out aggressive and just try to strike them in the heart and then get ahead like we did against the Vipers and really just get in the Vipers' head, get in the defender's head a little bit when we're playing them. So Matt McGloin, once again, my most important player, we just need him to not make mistakes and miss opportunities. That's all we need from him. If he can throw for 200 yards, a touchdown, 
and no interceptions, I think we can win this game as long as we do rely on the running game as well. Our most important defensive player, this is a little bit harder for me. I almost went cornerback um, Bryce Jones because he's probably going to be matched up on Rashad Ross a lot, and Rashad Ross is a dangerous threat, so if he gets beat there, that could be very dangerous. But I went with Bumney Rotini Jr., we need to be able to get a pass rush with only four rushers. We cannot blitz all game because they will hurt us because one of those plays will end up as a broken play and they'll get a touchdown to one of their prolific wide receivers. So we need to be able to get a pass rush with just four rushers. And Bumney Rotini is going to be the main guy to focus on there. I fully expect him. I hope he produces. He has to produce even more. He got a sack and his one sack was really good during the game, but he wasn't consistent enough. He needs to be a little bit more consistent in this game against the defenders trying to beat their tackles, get pressure on Cardell Jones. You don't always have to even take him down. Just make him move in the pocket, make him comfortable, make him make bad decisions. Our, def our defensive backs will take advantage of that. But as long as he's getting consistent pressure, that's going to be huge for our defensive line as long as somebody, and I fully expect Bumby Routine to take the majority of these snaps at defensive end, continually gets pressures and make plays. So he's my most important defensive player on the team for this game. He just, once again, he needs to produce. Both these guys cannot make mistakes and need to produce at some level for us to win this game. That's going to be the end of our preview. Real quick, I'll give my pick. I do think the Guardians win this. I think they win it by 7 or 10. So I put probably a score of 30 to 20 or 23 to 13. Something around there where we score 20 plus and they either score 20 or less. Just because I believe our defense is going to be able to lock down those receivers. I think they're overrating those receivers a little bit. I was not super impressed when I watched the game. Rashad Ross is as good as always, but his one touchdown was because of a busted coverage by the corner. And I don't expect our guys to make that same mistake. So fully expect us to be able to shut down that offense that wasn't as effective as people think they were during the game. Cardell Jones is really good, especially making plays outside of a pass rush. So we have to make sure we get to him quick and often make sure he's uncomfortable make sure he can't just feel comfortable even when he's escaped the pocket. So once again, guardians win it 23 to 13, 30 to 20, where the score does not tell the whole story of the game. I think the game is going to be a really close, really hard fought one, but I do think it's going to be about a 10 point margin of victory because of a turnover late that probably seals the game. All right, we're going to go to break and then I'm going to come back with a little bit of guardians news and then we'll close out the show. Now we're back from the break. We're going to talk a little bit of Guardians news when it comes to transactions and injuries before we get into kind of our outro segment. And I'll talk, there's something that I want to talk about then. But we're going to start with Guardian news. First off, Ian Silverman and Garrett Brumfield, both who played pretty well on Saturday, on Sunday against the Vipers, are both battling injuries. I saw Damian Mama get a lot of rotation at that left guard spot that Brumfield was in and at center when Damian when Ian Silverman apparently went out. There was no news about this during the broadcast when I was watching it. So it's going to be interesting to see who starts there. I know Damian Mama will probably get the start at center because that's where he rotated, and I think maybe Avery Young will end up at that left guard position. Some news when it comes to signing based off these injuries. We signed Bunchy Stallings, who was with the team during camp, a guy from, I believe, Kentucky. He was with the team during camp, got cut at the final cuts. So he's back with the team, and he could end up getting some playing time rotating in because he might be more familiar with the system. And when we brought in Bunchy Stallings, we had to cut – 
cornerback Dewan Neal, which sucks. Hopefully we end up bringing him back when those guys get healthy. I'm really a fan of Dewan Neal and his game. And then we also signed defensive back Jeremiah McKinnon, and I believe this may be a result with the idea that we were going to cut Dewan Neal. But he spent time in the NFL and with a couple of teams. He's from Florida International University. He's a guy with a lot of length. He's about 6'1", I believe 200 pounds. So he's a pretty big defensive back. He plays mostly corner. So I'm curious to see what he does with the team. And he was drafted initially in the defensive back draft, so he's a guy I'm excited to see. If he gets playing time this week, I highly doubt it. He'll probably be on the inactive, inactive, um, inactives for this game. And in the future, we might see him on special teams and stuff. In, resu- in response to that move, though, we did cut wide receiver Justice Liggins, which is interesting considering we have a very thin wide receiver room right now. But he was on the inactives for the game this past weekend against the Vipers, which is surprising to me. The coaches apparently really liked him as a deep threat. So we could see him end up on Team 9 or somewhere else there. I wish these two, Dewan Neal and Justice Liggins, the best of luck. I kind of wish they were still on the team. I really like their talent and what they were able to do. But that's just how this league is going to be going. Some guys are going to end up getting cut because it's football and it's a business still, even though we like to think of this as a second chance. So that's some important news that I thought should be talked about. The offensive line is going to be really interesting to see develop. I'm really curious what happens with Ian Silverman, Garrett Brumfield. I don't think they're going to play. They haven't practiced for two days in a row unless they get miraculously healthy Thursday and Friday. I don't expect them to play. So we could see a new interior of that offensive line with Damian Mama and maybe Avery Young getting a lot of playing time as well. So that's going to be really interesting. Really interesting to see if Justice Liggins ends up coming back when those two get healthy because we do have two wide receivers on short-term IR, Tanner Gentry and DeMarcus, not DeMarcus, D'Angelo Yancey, pardon me, on that short-term IR so they could come back in round week four. So we may not bring back Justice Liggins just because of that. So seeing these develop will be interesting. And now we're going to go ahead and get into something I'm excited to do. I'm planning on a contest to get some gear, some um, Guardians merchandise, it's going to be announced Sunday after the game. I'm still figuring out some of the smaller details, but it's probably going to include a shirt and or hat of your choice to make sure you can get some good Guardians gear if you're going to games. I still don't have any myself, so I might order some myself when I do that as well. But um, it's, my, it's going to include some trivia, so make sure you study up. I know there's not a lot of trivia there, but... Make sure you include some. Make sure you study up a little bit. Figure out some of the things about some of the more obscure guys on this roster, because it'll be asking some questions about that. But I'm super excited. Get a little contest going, and then hey, if you get pictures from the game this weekend, like let's say you're there, or you're watching from home, and you're in your Guardians gear, send some pictures to the podcast. I'll make sure to post them. Kind of get this little fan thing going where we can recognize some of the fans of this team and some of those guys that have been there since the beginning so if you got gear and you're at the game make sure you go ahead and at me on twitter at tgp underscore podcast and i'll make sure i retweet that onto my feed make sure people recognize the real fans for the guardians because when we start getting on this winning streak there will be a bunch of bandwagons as well so once again contest opens up sunday i'll make sure i have all the little details in there and then if you get pictures from the game send them to me i'd be excited to see them i love seeing the fans of the team and all of that now we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and get into the intro here, the outro, pardon me. It's been a great episode. 
I'm going to try to keep these future episodes to not be one-man shows. I'm sorry. I know I talked for about 45 minutes there into your ears. Hope you enjoyed the information I provided, though. I'm going to try to get better on that true accuracy statement, like I said during it, make it a little more formal. I wasn't planning on doing it this week, but since I didn't get interviews, I'm gonna, I threw it in there. And I plan on doing it in the future because it's something I really like talking about. Real quick, I want to thank XFL Newsroom for what they've done for me as a as a place where I can put my podcast, get more views, get more followers. And then I just also really appreciate what they're doing. They're a great resource for XFL news and XFL podcasts and all of this. So make sure you give them a follow at XFL newsroom. And then also just go to the website, xflnewsroom.com to look at anything they put up on there is all great content. And it's a great website that you can go ahead and use. Thank you guys. Make sure you follow the show at TGP underscore podcast on Twitter and on Instagram, the same handle. Leave a review. Let me know what you think of the show. Really appreciate listening. If you got any questions for me, once again, go ahead and ask at TGP underscore podcast, or you can even ask at the underscore sideline 10. That's my personal uh, sports Twitter. So make sure you go ahead and give those a look. Once again, really appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you guys. Stay on duty, Guardians fans.